0: cloud. Okay, as always, it's just recording me. It's not recording your faces. Uh, if you see it's spotlighted on me, you know that's how it's working. If it's not spotlighted on me, you always remind me to uh, have the spotlight. Um, so it's great to see everybody. We have been discussing um, in the last couple of weeks, or maybe I should give the background again because as we always uh, jump from one section to the next uh we started off with tanya discussing um you know am i good or am i bad uh but really the tanya's guide to how to live our lives and so ultimately we had to get into in order to understand uh meaning and purpose in life we have to understand who we are so we started discussing the animal soul and the godly soul we spent a bunch of time in the godly soul then we moved on now recently to the animal soul and particularly things that are not considered holy in other words we we, we discussed but the godly soul will want it wants to do mitzvahs. What does the animal soul want? The animal soul wants to uh, be animalistic. But in order for us to define what we should be seeking in life, what, we, what we're not seeking in life, uh, we have to define what is holy and what is not holy. So last week, we started to discuss uh, things that are not holy, Okay, things that are clearly wrong, things that are forbidden. So how do you know something's wrong? Something that's forbidden, something that Torah forbids. We discussed that if something is forbidden, What does that mean mystically? What does it mean in the background? In the background, it means that it's something that cannot be elevated. It is getting its life force from something called the shalosh, klipot hatameh, the three unclean klipot. The three unclean klipot are vivifying that item, and therefore, because that's where its life force is coming from, it cannot be elevated. What does elevation mean? Elevation means when something becomes surrendered to God. Well, things that are coming from... um, Things that are coming from... uh, these three unclean clipboats will never be able to become surrendered towards God. And therefore, um, since there's no surrender, they cannot become one with God. Uh, um, last week we had a question that we just wanted to understand. We said, what about things that are on the one hand um prohibited to eat, which means they're they're coming from a life force which is uh Will have never, never have a surrender towards God at the same time. You have, um, they may be permitted to use. So, for example, you can't eat a horse, but you can use the horse, right? So, how does that work? How does it work? How can you have both, um, something that on the one hand is forbidden, the other hand is permitted? So, I told you I would look it up, and I did look it up to an extent. But I, I have to read it further because I didn't fully understand it. Uh, so this may be a little advanced, and it's not going to be the main topic of our class. But for those who want to hear it, this is how it goes. Um, basically, there is form and there's matter. There's Or there's matter and there's form, if you want to put it that way. So, for example, let's take um, challah on Passover. Challah the rest of the year is permitted. Chalal and Passover is not permitted. So what happens? Does it suddenly? Does the khala suddenly become? Uh, you know, how does it flip? How does it flip from being prohibited? Sorry, from being permitted to becoming prohibited and then becoming permitted again, right? How does it keep jumping? So the answer is that um, there's the form. Something can have a forbidden form but not forbidden inherently. Okay, so again, there's a forbidden form, not forbidden inherently. So for example, um, milk and meat, milk and meat are separately permitted. Together in the form that they become, when they're together, they become prohibited. If you want to explain deeper, it explains that, that uh, one they're from two opposite sides of the wrote, And when they get mixed together, it's not good. It's a bad mixture, right? It's a bad mixture. It's the same thing, by the way, in, in, in physical in, in this world. There's a lot of things that are, let's say, healthy by themselves, but you can mix two healthy things and suddenly it becomes very unhealthy, right? So what does that mean? That means inherently the item is, is not a problem, but in its form, it's a problem. In the current form, it's a problem. Um, so the same thing is with the chametz on passover. That is why actually there's an interesting uh, uh, debate about chametz on passover. One opinion says that in order to get rid of leavened bread on passover, all you need to do is you need to spread it around. In other words, in a form that is said, it's in is a problem. Once you spread it and, and and you know throw it into the wind, it becomes okay. Um, so the same thing we can say is about a horse. Insert it, it's not a horse is not inherently an issue. In other words, in its essence, it's not an issue, but in the form of food, it's a problem. And in the form of food, it's coming from the three unclean klipos, but its inherent energy force is not necessarily completely forbidden. However, let's say certain things like idolatry, it says idols have to be completely destroyed, right? Can't have any benefit from them. Um, So idols, those stones that the idols are made out of have now become completely uh, forbidden inherently, and therefore have to be destroyed, not just not used in a certain way, but they have to be completely destroyed. Again, I have to read further into it, but there's basically what I've been gathering is they're making a distinction between the item as it exists in its form versus the item in its inherent state. So that's that's all I can tell you for now on that. And uh, now we're going to move on to things that are a lot simpler, okay? So if you got it or didn't get it, i I told you i would explain you something so i i had to do that um and if you're lost a little bit uh, listen some of these things are mystical and they're deep all right so let's get to um what we're going to discuss today we're going to discuss chapter seven which is page 92 if you have the book but i'll I'll share the screen in a moment but i'm going to start with a question um what do you think is easier to learn the whole tanakh to learn all the books of the bible or to eat dinner
1: what do you think is easier
0: any takers sounds like a trick question
2: (laughs) to eat to eat dinner to eat dinner
0: eat dinner is hardy because harder because
2: um to eat dinner is more difficult because there's less you it's it's an experience where you're you're totally free and that particular book there's a lot of how to live life and directions and guidance and so you can kind of settle into that
0: mm-hmm. and eating dinner
2: it's kind of it's, it's a time where you feel a lot of anxiety <clears throat> and the reason you feel a lot of anxiety is because your mind is just kind of free-floating but when your mind is directed and guided in a particular way as studying Torah, um, there's more, there's more calm.
0: I think there's more peace when you, yeah. you, uh, yes. when you eat, when you, um when you're studying. Study. Okay, good, good. Anybody else? Any other thoughts?
1: Well, there might be more Klippa at dinner.
0: <laughs> right, there may be. Depends what's being served. If I cook it, there's no Klippa. Well,
1: well when you're serving it it's not even dinner but
0: right right, right exactly exactly
1: <laughs> now what i mean by that is that uh, the godliness of the dinner might be more hidden right right it That's might be true. more difficult to um uh, to uh address dinner in the manner in which it's supposed to be addressed as opposed mm-hmm. to just food as nourishment to do godly tasks to not is a little bit clearer for most people that's why i say maybe there's more klipa on dinner than
0: good good so uh
3: and, I, I yeah. and, and torah is one activity eating dinner is a plethora of activities there as as we as we study on sunday at talmud there are so many intricacies of which blessings to say and when and where and how and 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 do you say it together do you say it separately there there's a lot of different intermixing things that occur even with a simple meal. So after after the last three weeks of Talmud class, I don't want to eat anymore, but that's a whole other story. Um all, all you got
0: all you gotta do is wash for bread and then it's simple. Except if- Except if it's a certain type of pocket bread in the middle of the meal, okay. Or
3: or if you have wine before, after, you don't want to have wine, but then you decide to have wine. (laughs) So it sounds
0: like I have an educated audience here people have been coming to the Tanya class for a while and Torah Talmud, in which you've come to understand that um, things that are clearly holy are, are in a sense, a lot easier in life to do because the path is clear versus uh, eating, which has uh, so many intricacies. And so many places to fall. Okay, so uh, that's gonna be our discussion today. The, the middle ground of life, right? So last week we discussed the Torah study, the mitzvah, which is pretty clear cut. Yeah, sometimes it's challenging to you know, do a mitzvah or whatnot, but, um, it, it, but in a sense, um, it, it's very clear. It's very straightforward what needs to be done. You do it or not, okay. But when it comes to uh, allowable activities, That's where, um, in a sense, it's it's a lot harder because um, it's a lot harder to to get to do it right. So let us discover the mystical meaning behind this. Okay. Um, So last week we discussed there was the three forbidden klipot. Those are things that are completely forbidden. So eating not kosher, eating um, pork, eating ham, uh, serving idols, and all those things. And today we're going to discuss klipat noga, That is the second type of klipa or vivifying life force for items in this world. And klipat noga means the shining klipa, shining klipa. So it has a certain element of it that shines. And again, all this comes back from the uh, verses in Ezekiel where uh, it says, Vinoga lo and there was a light shining around it. And this refers to the klipa, which um, has some light in it. So even though it's a shell, as we discussed, what's the idea of the shell? The shell is hiding on the actual fruit, similarly to some of these uh, forbidden things, they're hiding the actual fruit, meaning they're there to give you uh, free will, free to, to give you choice. Um, but then there's, uh, then there's a klipa that is not just there to give you free will, but actually has some light in it, okay? Um, the way to look at it is, is thinking of it like this: there are like peanut shells; those are hard, which you don't eat at all. So those are like forbidden things. And then there's like apple peels or you know uh, pear peels, which are more uh, soft. Which to an extent you do eat them as well. Today, of course, they say uh, shells have within them um, a lot of nutrients as well. But uh, that's that's for another time. Um, so this is the. Klipa, which is going to vivify all the intermediate things in life um, so how do we know what belongs to the fully forbidden klipot and what belongs to the uh, middle ground klipot it's simple things that are forbidden by the torah go in the three totally unclean unholy klipot things that are uh, a lot th- uh, things that are uh, not forbidden those will go in the middle ground this is an important distinction because. Um, a lot of times in others what we get from here is that uh, things that are forbidden are not just like let me put it this way sometimes people want to know like why 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 is this suddenly forbidden you know what's what's so bad about a cheeseburger or what's so wrong about uh pig meat or whatever it is the torah based on our understanding of mysticism the torah is not just arbitrarily picking things but the torah is actually revealing to us That this item over here actually cannot be elevated. It has its life force from a klipa, which does not allow it to be elevated because it cannot become ever surrendered towards God. So again, the Torah, when it forbids or permits certain things, it's not just arbitrarily picking things to drive you crazy, but it's actually in the mysticism uh, telling you what the reality of the world around you is. And I find this very meaningful um to me it gives a lot of meaning to things that are forbidden in the torah it's um it's not just uh, you know i want to test you which it is a test of course but it's also let a lot letting you know what is the reality of the world around you that is why as we i think we've discussed previous times the word asur and mutar in hebrew we'll see if people remember what does the word mutar
1: in hebrew mean
0: Anybody knows what does the word mutar mean? So mutar generally means permitted. But mutar in Hebrew also means unbound, untied. And the word asur, which is forbidden, also means tied up. For example, we say in the morning prayers, matir asurim, who unbounds those who are tied up. Okay. So what this means is that these are language that we use in Jewish law. We say when something is asor, something is forbidden. That means it's bound up, being held back by the unclean forces, by the three unclean forces. Versus something that's mutar, permitted. It's not bound. It's allowed to uh, become holy in the right um, circumstance. Okay. But this is what we're now going to discuss. All right, so we explained there's something called klipa, things that are unbound. They're not bound by the three unclean klipot. But ultimately, as I said in the in the text message, this is gonna be up to us. Um, it's gonna be up to us to decide, uh, what Um, what's going to happen with this? So let's take a look at some text. Let's read some text.
1: Um, okay. All right,
0: so you see it over here. Hopefully at have the book. It's page 92, but regardless, okay. So let's read some text. So it says like this. At the end of chapter six, we began to, uh, to discuss Klippos, the negative forces of the universe, which veil the presence of God and promote ego consciousness. The Klippos, we learned, fall into two general categories. A, three completely impure Klippos, whose dark energy cannot be redeemed. And B, a fourth bright Klippos Noga, Noga meaning bright, which tends to hide God's presence, but whose veil can be penetrated through focused intention. But in contrast to the things mentioned at the end of the previous chapter, which are derived from the completely, completely impure klipot, like things that are forbidden, the following are derived from the bright klipa. So he says, number one, the energizing animal soul in Israel from the bright klipa. So your animalistic soul is not necessarily evil. It's just animalistic. Animalistic means it wants to live, wants to eat wants to go to the gym, wants to swim, Um, Netflix, I don't know, depends what show. Okay. Um, Which is embodied in your blood as stated above. Okay. Um, I'll I'll get to Netflix in a moment. You know, this is actually a good, a good, a good moment. I'll stop there, for example, before we get to the second category. So for example, um, I would say like this, let's say the internet, the internet itself, I would say is the intermediary klipa, right? It's the bright klipa. The websites on the internet, some of them are clearly of the three forbidden klipot, like political websites. Okay, no, I'm kidding. But, uh, (laughs) all right, Uh, right. Uh, Some of them are clearly the three forbidden uh, klipot. But uh, a lot of them, and then some of them are clearly holy. Like yichabad.com and our and our fundraising pages, of course, as well. But um, then you have uh, chabad.org, you know, they, jli.com. Then you have intermediate websites, uh, which can be used for good or for bad. And so that's really what we're talking about over here. We're talking about over here the we're really forget about websites. The internet itself has the propensity to be both holy and unclean at the same time. Right? The internet can be used as a tool for either way. Similarly, for example, when when TVs started becoming started coming around, uh, many groups wanted to ban TVs, and uh, the Rebbe said that uh, TV inherently is not bad. TV is not inherently bad; it's, it's how you use it. And therefore, the Rebbe said we should broadcast the Frabringans. We should broadcast the Rebbe's talks throughout the world on TV, and so they got the satellites, and they would broadcast the Rebbe's talks when you was Frabring. And I know I know some people who became close to Judaism from just flipping their TV channels and uh, seeing the Rebbe talk on TV. If you recall back in the day also, uh, TVs used to have this nonprofit station. They had to have one free station for nonprofits. You know, for many years, my father was on there and many other Chabad rabbis would utilize that to do an hour a week on these TV stations. Um, So these are uh, some of the things that are uh, intermediate. In other words, a kosher channel I should say kosher channel. An actual religious channel, of course, is holy, but the TV itself or the internet itself would be intermediate. Okay, let's give another example. The souls of kosher cattle, animals, birds, and fish, which are permissible to eat. These are all intermediate, which means they can be raised. Bright klipa being the sustenance of life force of everything that is permissible to eat from the mineral and vegetable worlds. So there are some vegetables we're not allowed to eat, right? So it's particularly in Israel. Certain vegetables, you know, or if you grow, uh, com- if a Jew grows combined, you know, if a Jew grafts things together as a problem, but otherwise vegetables are culture. And then he says, breathe bright, klippa is also sustenance and life force of every worldly act, spoken word or thought that has no trace of religious prohibition in neither root nor branch from the 365 prohibitions and their officers in biblical rabbinic. So when you talk, are you saying forbidden or permitted? Well, it depends what you're saying. Why such an activity? Why is such an activity considered to be from the dark energy of the universe, if it is not prohibited in turn in any way? Um, you know, let me, let me go back for a second before I get to that. Uh, I want to. I want to make a, a list of it here. I want you guys to figure this out. What is considered holy, and what is? Let me see if I can pull this over here in a second.
1: Let's see how well everybody's been listening.
0: All right, do you see this uh, Excel box? Is this being shared on the screen? Excel box. Yeah. So let's let's take a look at. Um, so we're gonna have different uh, forms in the world, right? Different types of life force. Uh, then we're gonna decide: is it um, what part of it would be, let's say, holy? What part of it would be middle? What part of it would be unholy all right so let's take a look let's pick uh let's start with uh the uh animal world so what would be a holy ant what would be a holy animal what would be holy from the animal world based on what we know from the tanya this this graph will help you live your life and make decisions about uh what what to do so what in the animal world is holy or has become holy but and he it
1: has split hoofs and chews its cud.
0: Okay, that would be the middle ground. The animal is is middle when ground. When it's been shechted already? Uh, no, not, not either when it's been shechted. Not necessarily. It's still, anybody can eat it with any type of intention. What is already holy?
1: So I'll give one example. The in and mezuzahs. Okay.
0: They are written on parchment. Okay? Those are now currently holy. I would, of course, also say, you know, offerings in the temple. Okay, middle ground would be, let's say, kosher animals, right? Or kosher kosher, kosher animals. Okay? Even once slaughtered.
1: Okay? Before they're
0: eaten, as we're going to discuss soon, your choice in this column Mm -hmm. makes all the difference see over here the tefillin and mezuzahs are already holy if you use tefillin in the wrong way you're desecrating the tefillin but the tefillin are inherently holy okay you're taking something holy and doing something bad to it but once it's holy it's holy that's why the only thing you can do now is bury it okay it's it's holy uh these over here will uh maybe holy maybe not depends what you do with it you can, in fact, even take kosher meat and now mix it with milk and make a cheeseburger. And uh, it's definitely bad. All right, but let's pick uh, what's what's not holy. Obviously, unholy would be uh, non-kosher animals. Okay, non-kosher animals. Okay, all right. Let's pick. Let's find something in the um, plant world. All right, what's holy in the plant world?
1: Anything, anything that comes from a plant, any derivative of
0: a plant that you could tell me that's holy,
1: like a gardle?
0: like a gar- like a silk gardle, yes. Okay, what else? Well, actually, that if it's silk, it's from an animal. Uh, but if it's any
1: uh, any anything else, yamaka, yamaka yarmulke. Yarmulke,
0: maybe yamaka. Let's go with... Uh, see, here I'm going to add something. Is matzah holy? See, earlier I said it may not be, right? Well, matzah that's actually eaten on Passover.
1: Uh, at the Seder, right?
0: So once, so you've taken something that grew from the ground, and now you did a mitzvah with it. Or a uh, uh, lulav and etrog,
1: Okay. Let's go with that. Okay, uh, what's the middle ground? Obviously, all kosher food, right? Kosher
0: food. Uh, so all your kosher food that grows on the ground. Then unholy would be uh, things that are unkosher of the plant world, which we discussed. Non-kosher plant. Um, plant food, okay. Um, now here is where it gets more complicated. So basically, in these middle items, I'm not going to go through the rest of the list. I could keep going, but the basic idea is in the middle. In the middle field, this is where your choice matters. So if you take kosher food and you do a missile with it, it obviously goes to the holy side. If you eat kosher food and you do something unholy with it, so for example, I don't know, you feed it at a local. Uh, uh, Know you could take kosher food, and uh, like I said, you could mix it with meat and milk, but there's other non kosher things you could do with it. Uh, what about if I'm just what if I just eat food? What if I just eat food? Is it is it going to any side?
1: If you don't no. bless it, it's probably, if you don't bless it, it's probably going to forbid or um. I'm not sure what you're calling the unholy side. Well,
0: right. You're saying if you eat food and you don't bless it. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, what we will develop this. This is our question that we're going to have to uh, discover. So he says like this. So he's going to say like this.
1: So he said on the previous page that... Um, um uh, Okay,
0: well, let, let, let's read. All right. So, what happens if you eat? So, now he's talking about if you eat without uh, intention for heaven. So, he says, like this if this activity was not carried out for the sake of heaven, but rather it is motivated by the body's will, its desire for lust. So, he's saying any action, speech, or thought in worldly activities that is not directed towards God. So, it's obviously not, remember, going back to our uh, uh, previous um, discussion. Uh, right so if you do an activity that's not holy so let's say right so we're talking about activities over here so let's say you um you talk you uh you go to let's 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 hit the gym again because we love talking about the gym you hit the gym and uh you weren't you weren't thinking about anything holy you weren't thinking about anything holy you just hit the gym right um it's motivated by the body's will, its desire, and lust. As we learned in chapter six, an activity might serve either to enhance awareness of the divine energy, which saturates the universe, or to reinforce the ego. Even an ostensibly kosher activity will bolster the ego unless it is consciously aligned with God, since the physical desires of the body are naturally self-serving. A kosher activity will strengthen the klipa, even if the real bodily need for continued living, so long as your intention is not for the sake of heaven, namely to worship God at a later point using the body. So you hit the gym and you didn't have in mind uh, to serve God, but you didn't either have a mind to hit the gym so you can beat someone up, right? It's two different things. In the sand, there's two reasons you could be going to the gym. You you could be going to the gym for uh, holy reasons. You could be going to the gym for unholy reasons, or you could just be going to the gym because you want you want to exercise, right? So which one was it? Nothing right now. So where does where does this where does this fall into? So it says like this. Even if a culture activity is devoid of pleasure-seeking intent and is carried out purely to maintain a healthy body, it will strengthen klipas so long as God has not entered your consciousness. While this conclusion may seem harsh, it is consistent with the Tanya's core principle, either an act is directed towards God or it is not. There are no spiritually neutral activities. So he says like this. um, All these unawakened acts, spoken words, and thoughts are not superior to the animal soul's energy itself, which is focused on the self. Just as you cannot lift yourself up by grabbing your own hair, no force in the universe can transcend its own source without outside assistance. If an act is motivated exclusively by the animal soul, which is powered by self-centered klipa, it simply cannot awaken to God. So I know I'm being very confusing over here, and this is a a deep topic, but it will get uh, simpler as we go on. So, just, just hold on here with a thought. And he says, like this, and it is the same for all, all culture objects and activities, as well as the animal soul itself, are powered metaphysically by the second higher level within the Klipas and the Sitra akra, which is the fourth Klipa referred to the bright Klipa, because while predominantly self centered, it contains a little bit of making it bright. So, again, so you've done an activity and you had no intention in mind except for self. Not necessarily bad. So this is considered part of the... It's klipa, it's unholy, but it's not completely in the forbidden side. Why? Because as we're going to say, you can elevate it. As we're going to say, an act powered by is not to either promote ego consciousness or could bring you to awareness of God. The two possibilities are suggested by its name. On the one hand, if it is a self-serving klipa appeal, which conceals God's presence, but on the other hand, it is bright and does not eclipse God fully, still it is classified as klipa, A negative life force, since it's pulled towards ego consciousness predominance, it is a thick veil which lets only a little light through. All right, so who's confused? Hopefully a couple of you, right? Um, So I'm wondering if I should continue reading in the text because it it gets a little confusing. Um, So what I want to say is, ultimately, um, it's up to you. That's really the idea. So there's two options with this middle world as we're going to discover as we, as we present it. There's option number one, which is to begin with, you do the middle ground activity with the right intentions. That's the best case scenario, okay? Um, that's the best case scenario. So you hit the gym because you want to become a security guard at Chabad, okay? All right, there's other reasons, of course. You want to be healthy, so you can do mitzvahs. So you can walk to shul. Uh, You can also hit the gym to beat up people, okay? That's another option. Let's say you just hit the gym without any, you just want to hit the gym. Now, after you've hit, and I don't think that's how you spell gym, but that's another story. (laughs) Um, After you hit the gym, um, you now have a choice how to use that energy,
1: right? In other words, um,
0: you are now a healthier person. Now, what are you going to do with that extra energy that you have? That's an important question. In other words, are you now going to um, use that energy for good, or are you going to use it for not good? Or let's take a simpler example, kosher food. So you ate kosher food without any intention of doing a mitzvah. You were just hungry, okay? But now that you've already eaten, you're going to take that energy, and you're going to do a mitzvah with it, or you're going to do something holy. You're going to do the right thing with it. OK, so now you've because it was to begin with klipat noga, because it was the bright klipa. You can actually elevate the energy of that kosher food to holiness, even though when you ate it, you ate it with the wrong intention, you can elevate it to an extent. Tanya is going to discuss later to an extent because you ate it with the wrong intentions. There's a part of it that will not be elevated, but that's not for right now. The main point here is that the intermediate stuff. Even if you start off on the wrong foot, in other words, even if you don't originally do it with the right intention, because it's considered the bright klipa, the klipa that can be elevated because it's not completely ego-centered, therefore it can be elevated. Conversely, if you ate something not kosher, no matter what you try to do later, you can never pull it over to this side. It will never, ever have the possibility of being elevated. That's number one I want to tell you. So again, number one, anything that falls in the middle category of your life, has the potential of being elevated. And that's really good. That's really important. So, you know, people were worried in the past. Well, you know, it's hard to keep in mind, you know, the right intentions all day. It's hard to go to business all day and have the right mind. It's hard to sit in the gym all day. And we discussed that last time. But here, what we're saying is, even if let's say you did it without the right intentions, but you didn't do it with the wrong intentions, okay? You can afterwards elevate that, right? So you worked hard. You gave a portion of it to tzedakah. You do mitzvahs with your life. uh, You have now elevated all of that work, okay? Um, even if you didn't start off with the right intention, but here's the next thing that I want to point out, and that is that uh, Judaism's view is that although the is that the world is not evil. This is why in Judaism we don't separate from the world. Judaism doesn't have a you know some belief that marriage is a problem. Judaism doesn't have a belief because all these things that we think of in life, life, okay, everything, marriage, uh, video games, really everything again, there are some bad video games, but I think everything in life can fall in the middle category, right? That's the idea. It's the question of, will it ultimately serve a surrender towards God or will it not? So um, this is our, uh, this is what's really hard. And this is why uh, when we had the question earlier, you know, what was easier is it studying the Torah, you know, study Torah or dinner, right? What's easier? Well, uh, you know, because dinner falls in the middle level, it's a lot harder. So this is why, in a sense, people who live in the business world or people who are not uh, involved in holy activities all day, like let's say I am to an extent, um, it's very impressive because you you have to, you spend most of your day in this column, and you have to find ways to bring them all over this way. That's a lot harder. Than living in this column. That's why a lot of people like to live this life. It's a lot easier, but God really wants us to uh, spend a lot of time over here, and pull these items this way, and try to make sure we don't pull them that way. That's this is what life is about, and Judaism really loves this because the whole idea is to is to elevate the world, is to uh, lift up the world. This is why, for example, the Nazir. People have heard of the Nazir, the Nazarite. Um, it says the Nazarite who, who, who forbids himself from shaving his hair and drinking wine it says the Nazarite, when he finishes his Nazarite process he has to do teshuva he has to repent he has to bring a sin offering why it says because he forbade on himself things that god allows in other words he forbade on himself to drinking wine yes maybe he needed it but god really doesn't want us to stop drinking wine god wants us to take the wine and elevate it this is why there's an often quoted uh or i should say misquote from the uh from the uh bible in the bible it says uh sorry in the talmud the talmud says um you will be asked when you get to heaven i have to look up the quote you will be asked when you get to heaven uh what pleasures of the world do you deny yourself Uh, let's see uh let me see uh uh, here it is. Okay. Here's the source. The Talmud says, when you get to heaven, this is in, in a, a Talmud, you were telling me, the Jerusalem Talmud, in the future, one will be judged for all that his eyes saw and he didn't eat. Rabbi laser worried about this opinion and set aside money to eat from every kind once a year. <laughs> so that's the Talmud. The Talmud says, when you get to heaven, you'll be judged for every type of food that you saw and you didn't eat. So, how do we understand this? So, many people like to take it and say, well, obviously, this means we have to uh, live a, a, pl- a life full of pleasure. We have to keep eating uh, wonderful, delicious, yummy foods and make sure I, I partake of every Mars bar. So, first of all, number one, I'm going to say is the food they had back in the Talmud times is not the same as they have today. Uh, but number two is I think it's really like this is the idea is that. Um, w- it doesn't mean to live a gluttonous life. I don't think that's what the Talmud's idea is. Talmud's idea is, I think, what we're saying here is that we have to mostly live in that middle column and living a life of denial is not correct. And this actually was something that the Baal Shemto was very much into. Before the times of the Baal Shemto, many of the Hasidic masters, were not Hasidic masters, sorry, it was very popular in those days. Um, it came from a lot of the Ashkenaz. They, they very much liked this idea of living a life of denial and a life of, uh, suffering and pain, and they would roll around in the snow and and things like that. And uh, Hasidism came to say that no, we're not we're not living an ascetic lifestyle. We need to uh, live within the world. Uh, we discussed this last week as well. So that's really what the Talmud is saying, in, in my understanding. The Talmud is saying that um, you have a life to live. Don't keep trying to escape to the study hall. Yes you should go and study every moment you have, but recognize that your mission is maybe to be in business. You know, there are many business people who come to the Rebbe and say, Rebbe, you know, I have so much money, I want to retire and I want to study Torah all day. And the Rebbe would tell them, no, you have possibly a mission in the business world because of your unique position. Yes, you have enough money to live, but it's not just about the money, number one. Number two, obviously the money, you can do great things with your money, but uh, he wasn't necessarily, he wouldn't necessarily tell people all the time to just quit their business and, and go, study depended every case but that's 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 the idea is uh, li- the middle column is not just necessary but it's important. It's not just a, a necessary evil, but in many ways it's uh, the ultimate goal and it's the hardest, hardest part of our lives to elevate um, as the rabbis say in in uh, ethics of our fathers everything that God created in this world, God created it for his honor, for his glory. If everything is created for God's glory, then we should find ways to elevate um, the things around us and not just be in in a world of uh, denial this is why just another example about the table it says that that, that a table is like a mizbech. It's like the altar of God. That's why we put salt on it. An altar always has salt. That's why we're not supposed to sit on tables because tables are like the altar of God. Um, so all of this is to tell us that um the body is uh is an important thing. Um,
1: okay, let's let's uh let's read some more text.. Um,
0: Uh, and let's talk about what happens when you uh, make mistakes. Okay, so let's see. Um,
1: so he says, like this. Let's go back inside the text. Sorry if it's confusing. This text is a little bit confusing, but that's how it is. Okay, so we said. Um, we say like this,
0: this little good is a source of the positive qualities of the animal soul. Okay, we discussed that in the previous chapter. The bright klipa is an intermediate category between the three completely impure klipos and the realm of holiness. Natalia's worldview, the closest thing to a spiritually neutral activity, is an experience which is unawakened but technically kosher. Right now, the act eclipses God and nourishes self-centered consciousness. So it is categorized as klipa, right? It's not holy when you eat kosher food without any intention because ultimately there's an element of ego. But being a radiant klipa, which is very thinly veiled, its energy is easily redeemable. And so he says like this. This is the important part where he's saying how you can pull this intermediate to the two directions. That is why sometimes snoga will be absorbed by the three impure klipot, those are the totally unholy side, and nourish self-centered consciousness as it is stated in its climb section 49 beginning of chapter 4 cited in zohar right so if i eat like a glutton and i just focus on 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 my pleasure and, and me 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 uh 100% even if all the food is kosher um it's uh, going to become absorbed in the three impure klipos because if the, the more ego of myself is involved the less god there is the less surrender there is to god okay so that's why uh, kosher is a very interesting thing kosher all kosher means is just the middle ground right people say well you know it's kosher right well yes an item can be kosher but it's what you do with the kosher item that makes a difference so eating in a kosher restaurant the kosher food is kosher but you know how you eat it and what you do with it all right he says like this but sometimes it'll be it'll be uplifted and absorbed in the realm of holiness um Right, So you have the option whenever you eat. However, for Kalipas Noga act or entity to be redeemed from itself, centered or, or a process of refinement must occur, namely when the good mixed in it is extracted from the bad, empowering the good to be uplifted and holiness absorbed by it. Metaphysically, this would happen when you mentally aligned and ordinary, worldly but co act with a higher purpose. The mental awakening empowers the good trapped in the bright Kalipa to be extracted and good. So he's going to give an example. And before he gives the example, I want to uh, ask a question based on what I'm saying here, that basically there are kosher activities and it's w- how you act within those kosher activities uh, that defines whether this item will be absorbed in the three impure klepos or will be absorbed in the three, in the, in the, in the one holy side. Um, I'll give you three scenarios. So let's say I like, uh, I like barbecued meat and in every, every opportunity i get i'm gonna eat barbecued meat at home i barbecue all the time when i go to a restaurant i always order barbecued meat is my eating barbecued meat uh obviously the meat itself is kosher is that meat is that eating the meat is that going to be absorbed in the holy or is it going to go in the unholy or another example um let's say there's a, a somebody who really loves how their house looks and so they spend lots of time, lots of effort, lots of money into decorating their house. Okay? So let's say you have a house, right? You go you go to home goods, you go to uh Home Depot and you're always fixing up your house and always uh, making new features and and and, 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 and 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 new fancy things in your house. Um is that are you going to say that that's definitely centered around the ego and that's bad? And one final example is uh let's say you enjoy Skiing. Okay, so you travel all over the world to find the best ski places, and you're always going skiing. Uh, what would you say? Are these holy or unholy? Any thoughts? Is this being absorbed in the holy or the unholy?
3: I think a lot of what you're saying is is your 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 needs and desires. You know, you you need the barbecue meat. You need the um, you know the skiing you need you need you need but to what you haven't told us to what purpose this to you know eating barbecue meat to what purpose I mean does it give you a a a, a good feeling that you go ahead and you then go and decide okay I had my barbecue meat I'm going to go study Torah I mean it, it all depends what you're doing the skiing well, I'm not sure about because I don't well, ski
0: well, one second so let's let's ask an example about barbecue meat it's a good it's a good point um, but why do I need to eat barbecued meat to study Torah? Why can't I just eat a uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich?
3: You, you you could, you could, but it depends on you.
0: Right. So, so if I, if I love barbecued meat, but, and I could eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and that would give me enough energy to, to study, but instead I'm eating barbecued meat. Can I go around saying my, my, my eating the barbecued meat is, is, was holy
1: If you use it for, for performing a mitzvah, studying Torah, yes, because then you elevated it. So you can elevate it to
0: an extent, but the lustful desire within the eating could be a problem. So we're, we're, we're differentiating here, actually. There's, there's, it's an interesting differentiation. In other words, there's the energy of the food itself, which I would say could be elevated, but let's say the lustful desire in the activity
1: itself—is um, that a problem or not? Yes, it's a problem. It could be.
0: It could be. Uh, or let's say, as we're going, let's say, or let's say, let's give another example. Rabbi gives sermons, and before the rabbi gives a sermon, he tells a joke. Is that okay? You know, you could listen. No. this not a joke. It's not okay. It's never okay.
3: <laughs> it, it, it depends if it's Pacus adler it's not okay
0: <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. That's, that's you, right 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 is the joke or, or can you say you, you, you know well, the you
3: joke may it? get the joke may bring that topic down to the level where people may appreciate it more so the joke itself if it's related and not offensive and 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 uh, draws people into the study then it's a great thing Mm-hmm. And I think that should be elevated
0: right and how about um how about this person that wants a fancy house is it is it a bad thing to want nice things in your house what what could be what could be good about constantly you know repainting your house and putting down nice floors and Where, where's the holiness in that
3: what what are you using the house for? Are you using it to invite well, people I, over? I to- use
0: it for I use it for mitzvahs, but technically I can I can I can have a you know a one dollar floor. I don't need the designer floor, right? Sure. All right. So let's read the next section of the Tanya, which is I think most important over here. And ultimately it goes back to the beginning of the class where we said it's harder to um <laughs> harder to eat dinner than it is to study tanya. So It says like this. For example, eating marbled meat and fragrant wine to broaden your mind for God and his Torah, as Rebbe said, wine and fragrance sharpens the mind. Or if you enjoy food and drink to fill the midst of taking pleasure on Shabbos and festivals, then the meat and wines, kalippos, no are you find it in a sense to God like a burnt offering and a sacrifice. So what he's saying here is like this. Maybe you're right. Maybe you could study Torah without eating good food. I'll get to Shabbos in a moment because Shabbos is a totally different level. But if eating drinking wine and eating good meat puts you in that type of mood similar to the joke as we're going to discuss in a second but but allows you the broadness of the mind to be able to uh study properly to be able to do mitzvahs with uh a good uh disposition then that is holy in itself so yes i could study Torah with just the peanut butter sandwich but if i eat peanut butter sandwiches every day i know myself i'd probably be in a very um uh, maybe a mellow type of uh, uh, you know, disposition. Well, I want to feel broad and I want to be able to sit and study. And so sometimes uh, doing all those things enables you to broaden your mind. And so the same thing might be about your house, by the way. Um, you may need to have a uh, beautiful house in order to have the broad-mindedness. It depends on your disposition. It's, it's, I can't tell everybody's going to be different you may need a the, the nice house in order to fit, sit and feel comfortable in your mind and settled to be able to study. So he says, all right, so he says like this. Another example is to use humor to sharpen your mind. Sorry, yeah. And to put you in a joyous mood for God, his daughter's worship, which is ought to be carried out joyously, as Ravid did with his students when he commenced with a humorous remark to them and the students would become true, cheerful. Judaism doesn't require you to desist from worldly activities and pleasures. If they are kosher and good within themselves, they can be elevated like a sacrifice to God. So long as they are performed with an awakened consciousness aligned to a higher purpose. All right. As he just, just I want to read the flip side of that. On the other hand, if you're one who gorges on meat and guzzles wine purely to satisfy the desires of your body and your animal soul, which come from the element of water, from the negative side of the four elements, which is pleasure seeking, then the energy, of the meat or the wine inside of you will be absorbed temporarily in complete negativity of the three impure clipos as you become a garment and vehicle for them. Unlike an act powered by the three completely negative Klippos whose evil is not redeemable, a kosher act which is marred by a self-gratifying intention will only strengthen the negative forces temporarily, temporarily until you repent and return to the worship of God and his Torah. And so he's going to go on to say that, and maybe we'll have to get to it more next week, but this is a fascinating example. Again, where you ate something kosher with the wrong intentions, totally gluttonous intentions, therefore it descended to the three impure Klippos, But if you do the right thing later, you can elevate it. But even when you elevate it, there will always remain a part of it stuck because of your intentions, because there was a high element of ego, at least when you ate it. In other words, even if the food itself can be elevated and the energy itself can be elevated, your intentions while eating it possibly cannot be elevated because your intentions were were very self-serving and there's no surrender in your self-servingness. So this is basically what we're going to get here is that Judaism is actually very difficult. Uh, in other words, a religion that that knocks the physical life. A Judaism that says physical life is bad and evil and needs to be avoided at all costs is actually very easy. It's a much easier life, uh, because you just avoid it. You don't do it, you don't get involved within it, and uh you do it just to the you know to the minimal uh whenever possible. But Judaism has it has an outlook that um presents the possibility for everybody has a unique situation and everybody has um their own um uh, presents for unique situation which really uh, it's hard for me to judge you have to know in yourself in other words why am i eating right now and maybe yes you do like steak okay but will this am i eating the steak merely because steak tastes good or is it also by me enjoying the steak i'll be able to study okay um and so that's and, and you can tell, by the way, the difference is, is, you know, he said gluttonous, right? If there's a food that you like, you don't need, you definitely don't need to eat it gluttonously in order to um, elevate, sorry, in order to be in broad-minded, right? Gluttonous never, doesn't feel good ever. Um, so that that's one way. Um, also, let's give, for example, if you want to keep beautifying your house, I think if you're obsessed about beautifying your house, it's probably unhealthy and it's probably not uh, the holy uh you know beautifying your house expanding your mind that we talk about you know the Talmud does say that um that uh three things broaden the person's mind it says uh you know a good marriage um a good house and uh good things in the house so there is an element that having a good life can broaden your mind and this can go back to skiing maybe somebody needs to go skiing it helps keep them in a good frame of mind a good mood it's their it's their vacations their breakaway um but it's possible that an obsession with it uh, to the point where um, it's about the skiing itself and not necessarily what it can bring you in your life, uh, that can become a problem. And um, so th- it's, really, it's really a hard thing to say. You know, I'll just, get, I'll just give a couple other stories. You know, the Talmud uh, tells a story that one time uh, a great rabbi was standing next to Elijah the prophet. And Elijah the prophet told him, look, those two people, they uh, have a, a portion of the world to come. So the rabbi ran over to these people, wanted to know what they do. You know, are they Torah scholars or something? They asked them, what do you do? They said, we're jesters. Our job is to make people laugh. And uh, Elijah said, these people are, people are going to get heaven because they are putting people in a good mood. But what I'm saying today is very dangerous because, again, you can take it and understand it in a way that uh, will... And you can abuse this idea as well and uh, say, well, you know, this is all to broaden my mind and, and and abuse it. So we have to always keep the goal in mind. The goal is never for the steak itself. The goal is never for the skiing itself. The goal is not for the meat itself. The goal is for the broadness of mind that it will bring me. And, uh, you know, sometimes for some people, you know, they say vacations make them more stressed. You know, <laughs> if that's how it goes for you, it's probably not worth it. Um. Just to, um, I, had a, I had another example. Rabbi, um, can you explain what you mean by broaden your mind? Broaden your mind. Uh, you want to be in a very, the mind has to be settled. And uh, there's a word in Yiddish it, called breitkite. Literally means broad. Um, to, to, we have to be able to think, um, you know, Judaism has a lot of metaphysical discussions. You have to be able to think out of the box and you need to be settled. You don't want to be in a very um, tight feeling, very um, small minded. I don't know, I have to think of other words. I'm sorry.
3: Not agitated, Uh? agitated. you want to Uh, calm mind. you You don't want to be very concrete.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you need to be able to think beyond linear basically. A linear thinking can only get you so far. You need to be able to come up with better ideas. So when you study Talmud, you come to a question. You, when you study Tanya, you have to broaden your mind. Think about it. You know, Tanya is not a simple, straightforward. You have to have a more broad look. Um, so th- these are all places where having a broad mind can help. You know, uh, so if someone's coming to a Tanya class and hoping for, I'm going to tell you, you know, how to, you know, you know, make a right, make a left, make a right, make a left. It's not like that. Tanya's, you need a broad mind to study it, right? It's, it's a little out of the box. Um, it's a little metaphysical. Um, we're running out of time. I wanted to um, just tell one final story before you go. I'm going to have to expand on, the, on this topic again next week. But uh, the story was that um, one time, uh, the Rebbe uh, liked art, in other words, when I say he liked art, he wanted he wanted people to use their talents and everything they have in this world. So it was once an artist, the Rebbe pushed him to go into art. He says you can express religious things in art. So he one time put up a show in 770. He put up a you know art display and the Rebbe walked through everything. And when the Rebbe finished, he says, Listen, I love your art, but he told him it's too spiritual. You know, the depictions were very spiritual. You know, he says, I want you to draw more concrete items, you know, draw you know holy scenes, a Shabbat scene, a synagogue scene, something more concrete than the you know, ethereal themes, uh, themes. So the same thing is, is in our lives. Is, is It's amazing to live a spiritual life, live in the ether, live in Torah study. Uh, but ultimately, uh, God wants us in the concrete. He wants us to do mitzvahs here in this physical world uh, in ways that are, um, it's difficult. It's very difficult. And we each have to judge with ourselves uh, these activities that we're doing. Are they holy? Are they not? But that's ultimately, God wants us living in that middle that middle ground and uh, always to try and live there, but you'd always try and have the right intention, which is surrender to God and not just self-serving, but how this will serve and further my uh, religious life. And uh, that's what I'm going to leave you with today. Um, just make a, a, a plug for the fundraising. If you haven't yet joined the matching campaign, the matching campaign is still going on. Uh, you can still join and we're still uh, 25% away from our goal, so it'd be nice. Anybody can join, and uh, we will see you all next week. Uh, actually, sorry, next week is I think Tishabov, right? Next uh,
1: week.
3: No, it's, Thursday. It's
0: oh, Thursday, Thursday, Okay, okay. No, so we'll be doing. Uh, um, I do have um, I do have a, an inspection and a plant nearby, but hopefully, I should be back. So there'll probably be a Tanya class next week, on ninety percent. Um, but thank you all for coming.
3: Thank
0: you, you, Rabbi. Thank
3: Thank you, you, you. you.
0: Uh, Rabbi. I'll stick around if anybody has any questions, of course. Uh,
3: Rabbi, continued success on the fundraiser. May you raise more than you need to.
0: Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, thank you. Bye, Rabbi. Bye-bye, thank you. Bye, Rabbi.
2: Do you have, is there a link to give?
0: Uh, I could send it to you. You want me to text it to you? Yeah, uh uh-huh it's uh it's not if you just go to our website but i'll, I'll text it to you
2: all right yeah thanks because i i'll get totally lost in the website
0: yeah yeah no worries you joined today for a very complicated uh uh topic
2: um yeah i was totally distracted i i really wasn't wasn't part of it except for the first moment
0: oh well hopefully you uh you know whatever time you're on you picked up something
2: yeah, I mean, it was just, it, I think what it did was it, it gave me like, like, I want to come back next week, you know, because it was super interesting. There were a couple of things that I did catch, like when you said um, spiritually, um, you said something so interesting. I wrote it down. Uh, here it is. Wait, uh, spiritually. um Um sorry. I'm looking for it.
0: Okay, if you find it, let me know.
2: Yeah, no, you your vocabulary, it's it's so great. Um, where the heck did it go? <laughs> I know it's here. But but yeah, so Jacob, what should we do about Jacob for his um
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll call you next week about it. The camp is over and I'll, I'll call you next week about Oh, camp.
2: you said not spiritually neutral, but spiritually yeah spiritually neutral wow what a great word
0: Mm-hmm.
2: spiritually neutral yeah so
1: neutral, I, yeah. I'm,
2: I'm, yeah so look i get something so you know i don't yeah, want to be uh, mm-hmm. yeah i had to i had to do some like send an email and stuff like that so whatever but yeah so i'll um hopefully see you guys this weekend and if you send me the link yeah i think you sent that i see a text okay yeah, awesome perfect okay rabbi Thank, Thank
1: you. you.
0: Thank you. Bye.
2: Thank, you for coming Bye. On. Thank you. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. Sure. Bye. Bye. Anybody else has any questions? That's it. You'd have to unmute, though, to uh, ask a question. No? Thanks, Rabbi. Yeah. You have a question? Hello, David?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's me.
0: Lots of questions, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't want to take up too much of your time. We'll uh, we'll tackle it another day.
0: That's okay. You could ask me a couple questions.
1: Sure. I, I and mean, it's it's. I mean, it's not even. I'm not sure if it's even a question. It's, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll just speak for myself. Sometimes I eat dinner because I'm hungry and I need sustenance. You know, and so is that. Is that. I.